0: Hello, and greetings. We're so glad that you're interested in spiritual matters, and we're glad that you've joined us today. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. We read the following in 2 John, beginning in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So we can see John is writing <clears throat> about people who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And this is one of many instances in the first few centuries after Jesus came to this earth where there are people who are trying to make sense of exactly who Jesus was and what he did. It's an extraordinary idea that the Word would become flesh and dwell among us. That God would take on human form and yet remain God. So how is it that Jesus is God and man? What is the relationship of Jesus with his Father? How can Jesus be both human and divine? And what does that mean in terms of what we understand as human and what we understand as divine? Now, these are very <clears throat> arcane matters in a lot of people's eyes. It's something that seems irrelevant to many people and, and something that a lot of people don't talk about because for most in Christendom, it's a settled question. And there's not a lot of applications that we perhaps can make on these things. we got to remember what Isaiah uh, spoke, that uh, as, the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. On the other hand, as recognizing all that is true, we don't want to fall into heresy, which is a work of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. That yes, there's much about God that we'll never understand, much about Jesus and his incarnation that is beyond our understanding. But that which he has made known to us through the revelation we can find in his word is something we do need to understand. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we have an idea of how Jesus is both God and man. We have to have some conception of that. And therefore, we need to make sure that whatever we think about that at least is dictated by what Jesus has revealed about himself in Scripture as opposed to just based on our own thing selves There's a lot of times when people start thinking, well, it has to be this way. It's really their mind saying that. It's not Scripture. There's nothing new under the sun as well, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9. And a lot of times these questions, which seem to be settled, often are brought back because uh, a new generation has not understood, or the, the same old thoughts that led people to want to go in different ways, an attempt to rationalize or smooth out what seems to be inconsistencies and contradictions in a triune understanding of God lead people down the same heretical roads that so many sung long ago, unfortunately trod. In our time together today, let us study uh, two controversies in terms of who Jesus is. And these come a little bit later and involve various elements of Jesus' existence. The first one involves his human and divine nature. Uh, which led to Nestorianism, Monophysitism, and what we call Chalcedonian Orthodoxy. The second one is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, or the Filioque. Trying to make sense of the controversy about the human and divine natures of Jesus that kind of blew up in the 5th century is very difficult to do. It's so hard to know sometimes what was really at stake, and so much of it was based on overreaction. That uh, certain people were claimed to believe things they didn't really believe, people took things to extremes, and so, and, and on top of all that, we have two different languages involved, Greek and Latin, who have very different ways of phrasing and conceptualizing these particular terms under discussion. And so as we begin this investigation, it has extremely important historical consequences and implications. But we need to, to keep in mind that even the most eminent scholars have difficulty sorting through everything going on with these controversies. At the end of the 4th four, century, in the 380, the nicaeo constantinopolitan creed came out of the Council of Constantinople. And the victory had been assured against the Arians. that the Nicene, the Nicene Consensus held for a short time. And people recognized that Jesus, the Word, was unbegotten, eternal, of the same substance, homousios, in Greek, and the same essence, oucia, as the Father and the Spirit. But that the Word, the Son, was, a, was distinct in existence to reality, in hypostasis, in Greek, from the Father and the Spirit. And, and this ultimately led, with a bunch of other issues, to a new question. Which is what is the relationship between the human and divine nature of Jesus Christ? We understand in John one and one that the Word was with God and the Word was God. In Colossians two and nine that the Word, <clears throat> that Jesus was the fullness of God of deity in bodily form. We also can see that as a human nature in Matthew twenty six thirty six to thirty nine. He prays that uh, this that this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That he he does maintain essential humanity. So Jesus is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. How did this work? And this, this ends up becoming a big issue because, first of all Nestorius, who was from Antioch in the early 5th century of our era. It had become popular to call Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer. Nestorius thought that was going too far, that uh, how can a human give birth... Or, or be the origin, the bearer of God. And so he preferred Christotokos, or the mother of Christ, the Christ-bearer. And he believed and taught that the two natures of Christ were distinct. Uh, both human and divine existed, but that they were distinct natures. Now, most all Christians of the period held God to be impassible. Therefore, that, that idea that God was, did not suffer, did not suffer pain. Uh, Nestorius and others concluded that the divine nature of Christ did not suffer on the cross, that the human part died, not the divine part. Um, The difficulty at this point is understanding what did Nestorius believe, and what did people claim Nestorius believed, and what did later Nestorians believe. And this is a a complete mess, but Nestorianism, whatever Nestorius himself might have thought, uh, would go a little further and suggest that Jesus is... God was omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, but Jesus the man was not. And there was great concern. And those who opposed Nestorius, mostly from Alexandria, and it was as political as it was theological, uh, implied that there was two different persons with two different experiences, that there was two Christs, the divine one and the human one. Now Nestorius affirmed they believed that Jesus had two distinct natures in one person, the Greek word prosopo. His main opponent ended up being Cyril of Alexandria. And the seal of Alexandria did a great job of of pushing the issue, uh, and pushing influence issues, and was able to get Nestorius declared a heretic and his views heretical at the Council of Ephesus in 431. However, uh, Nestorius Nestorius had his power base up in Antioch of Syria, and uh, his views remained popular among Syrian Christianity and the Church of the East, Uh, a a group of Christians who would ultimately uh, take the gospel message to the Persian Empire, the Sassanid Empire at the time, further east into India, and evidence all the way into China and perhaps all the way to Korea uh, in the early, for, in the middle of the first millennium. So there had been this this positioned by Nestorius, or the Nestorians, or what is claimed that Nestorius was talking about, that had separated Christ into these two. And in Alexandria, because they were opposing Nestorius, it became very easy and quick to go to the other extreme. And uh, there was a man named Eutychus, who said that Jesus had only one nature, that the human and the divine were somehow fused into one nature. And Eutychus would go so far as to say that his human nature dissolved like a drop of honey into the sea, into his divine nature. And this would be called monophysitism, from one nature, monophusis in Greek, so monophysitism. And Eutychus would be condemned as a heretic in 448, uh, because of going too far. Uh, there's a second Council of Ephesus that, was, in 449, uh, where the Alexandrians had the upper hand, Eutychus restored him and opposed his, deposed his opponents. But then in 451, the Council of Chalcedon that we're going to discuss uh, was, was much more ecumenical, and in which uh, Eutychus and his position were anathematized and condemned, and that monophysitism was condemned as a heresy. Uh, Monophysitism would ultimately be embraced by a majority of Egyptian Christians, who are called Coptics, and it's accepted also by some of the Syrian Orthodox as well. In fact, uh, those views uh, remain until this day. There's a lot of variations of monophysitism in various forms. Uh, a lot of people saw through the challenge of monophysitism uh, that it is an extreme where the humanity is completely negated in the divinity. And in a lot of ways, this is going back to the same type of thing that happened a few generations earlier with adoptionism versus docetism, where you have some people who are much more focused on Jesus the man and, and struggle with the idea of Jesus as God. Thus, well, G- well, God just adopted a good man, Jesus, and he became the son of God. On the other hand, you've got other people who are very, very okay with the idea of, of Christ as divine, but struggle with the idea that he was a man and that Docetism. well, he only seemed to be human. He was really a god the whole time. Well, same thing here. If you're focused on Jesus as human, very easy to see him in two natures because there's so much of the human that's limited and finite and restricted, whereas the divine would not have those restrictions. If you focus much on the divine, it's very easy to forget about the human or see that the human gets subsumed into the divine. Apollinaris was another individual who had an idea that uh, Christ had the human body, a human living principle, but his mind, his noose, was entirely overtaken by the divine nature. And this is a very easy heresy to, to get into, the idea that, okay, Jesus is a human body with a divine soul. And that was Apollinarianism, and that was also condemned, because if Jesus does not have a human soul, then he cannot redeem humanity. He has to experience the human experience fully, and there's more to humanity than to body. As humans, we are body, soul, and spirit. Thus, Jesus has to have a human body, soul, and spirit if he is truly human. Otherwise, he is not human, and there are things left not redeemed because he has not experienced it in Hebrews 4, 15, 5, 8, and 9. So a lot of people, but a lot of people afterward walked back uh, from monophysitism, and because the monophysite. Heresy continued and actually seemed very prevalent in many parts of the Byzantine Empire that had developed at this time. A lot of different alternatives were, were suggested to try to bridge the gap between the views that were, became official, Chalcedon, and this view uh, of monophysitism. And around 629, uh, the idea of monothelitism was advanced. In this one, Jesus is human and divine, but he has only one will. So they'll see there's two natures, but the will is singular so that the human and divine both had one will. Another one is monergism, that there there was the human and the divine, but they were energized by the same energy. All of these views, monothelitism monergism, all these things are condemned as heretical as the Third Council of Constantinople in 681, because uh, they had strayed from what ended up being Chalcedonian Orthodoxy. What on earth is Chalcedonian Orthodoxy? Well, uh, there was a recognition, generally, that what was called Nestorianism and monophysitism had gone too far in opposing directions. And so the Council of Chalcedon was convened to settle the question. It was an attempt to con- preserve what Cyril of Alexandria had suggested. He was considered fully orthodox, uh, but had kind of moved toward the, 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 the one nature view uh, against Nestorius. And so it was, it was a balancing act trying to affirm Sue of Alexandria, who was held in esteem by uh, West and East, uh, while yet maintaining the idea that Jesus did have two natures in inseparable union. And so the statement that came out of Chalcedon went something like this. We confess that one and the same Christ, Lord and only begotten Son, is to be acknowledged in two natures without confusion, change, division, or separation. The distinction between natures was never abolished by their union, but rather the character proper to each of the two natures was preserved as they came together in one person, the Greek word prosopon, and in one reality, hypostasis. This was a compromise agreement because it held to the inseparability and indivisibility of the two natures of Christ against where the Nestorians had gone, uh, but it also held the two natures without confusion or change against monophysitism. In reality, Nestorius himself would probably have agreed with that statement. Uh, Many of the more monotheisite people would not agree with that statement and thought that it all was just that Nestorianism had won the day. Uh, That council also repudiated the Second Council of Ephesus. Now, what do we say about these things? And then this gets to the idea of Chalcedon. Nobody seemed to be happy with the conclusion of Chalcedon, Uh, especially not in the way that... Nicene had Nicene had worked out. The Nicene Creed, Nickeo, Constantinople, Constantinople, and Creed, or whatever you want to call it, that, that principle had actually uh, held the day, and that people firmly agreed with it in the end, even though there had been all this disagreement. With, with Chalcedon, there was a wide-ranging disagreement afterward. But in the end, Chalcedon, <clears throat> and that statement... Seems like a hopeless mess, but it really is trying to respect what has been revealed about the nature of Jesus in Scripture, because Jesus is the Word made flesh in John 1, 1, and 14. We see in the Scriptures that he's able to do great and wonderful things, and that he knows things that he can only know through inspiration. He, 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 he heals diseases, he casts out demons. In John 9, he heals a man born blind, which had never been done before. Uh, he foretold his death and resurrection, and who would betray him, and and uh, so on and so forth. And yet he experienced human feelings and growth and pain. We mentioned Matthew 26, where he's in agony, crying out that, that he didn't, would not have to suffer what he was about to suffer. Uh, in Luke 1 and 2, and the, the idea that Jesus grew in stature. Uh, it's one of those things that's still something compelling to think about in light of the fact that he is God in the flesh. Throughout the Gospels, from beginning to end, even after the Gospels and the Resurrection, there's no indication that the divine is lost in the human or the human is lost in the divine. There's no indication that the human Jesus could be separated in any way, shape, or form from the divine Jesus while earth or in the Resurrection. Uh, now, there's certainly an understanding that Jesus' soul did not die on the cross, but went to paradise. That would be as true as his earthly soul, as with his divine, the, the elements of his divinity. And Luke 23, 43, and 46. So, what is called Nestorianism does go beyond what Scripture says. Monophysitism certainly goes beyond what Scriptures would indicate. And that is why, even though nobody may be happy with Chalcedonian Orthodoxy, what is called Chalcedonian Orthodoxy, has been affirmed by most throughout the generations and to this day and should be affirmed, not because uh, the statements inspire, but because it does the best that we can on this side of the divide of making sense how Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And that is indivisible, inseparable, yet each nature is not reduced because of the presence of the other nature. And so that is the best way of understanding the human and divine natures in Christ. The last major controversy of the ancient world involves what's called the Filioque. Filioque is Latin. It means and the Son. It involved the Nicene Creed. In the original of the Nicene Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit proceeded through the Father. Uh, in the Third Council of Toledo... In 589, in the West, not affirmed in the East, it added a word, filioque, so that it would now say that the Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. Uh, the Roman Catholics assert that the Creed is correct with the filioque. The Eastern Orthodox said that the Creed should be kept as originally affirmed without the filioque. And so, what, what are we going to say about, about this type of disagreement? Does the Spirit proceed from the Father? And John, all that we can say about this comes from what Jesus himself says in John 15, verse 26, which Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have seen, been with me from the beginning. Jesus affirms there that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. In John 20, verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from them, from any it is withheld, in which he is, the Spirit is in some way proceeding from him. And so on a theological level, uh, you can see this point of the argument, but it seems that maybe Roman Catholics may have the upper hand in that particular issue. But on a creedal level, you can certainly understand the Orthodox in that belief system, uh, the creeds work because they are the coming together and deciding together as opposed to just an individual inserting something and in it later being justified by a creed, a council, which is what happened with the Filioque. And... Um, this led. This was the theological premise about which lead to the division of West and East in 1054. It's based on this word filioque. To this day, it is a stumbling block between the West and the East in terms of what should be said in the Nicene Creed. So can the Spirit proceed from both the Father and the Son? Most likely, but the value of this disputation and the level that it has reached is highly questionable uh, since it still is this major doctrinal disputation and does not have much to say about the actual nature of Jesus. So these are the latter's Christological controversies. And they're very speculative. And and it's it's very difficult to, to make firm biblical arguments about this, because it's not interested in biblical writers, to an extent. They affirm Jesus is human and divine. And so in the end, when, when Chalcedon comes to the conclusion that both natures are there, they're indivisible, yet... They are not lost in each other. It's about the best you can say from Scripture and it is unfortunate that it led to such disagreement and confusion and division that persists to this very day. And that's a good warning for us because what happens is that the ideas of how God must be, according to philosophical views, uh, color their view of Scripture. We need less scripture to find how God must be. We must recognize that a lot of this is political between Antioch and Alexandria, and circles of influence, and that certainly should not be the basis upon which theological questions are settled. And we need to not go beyond the doctrine of Christ in any direction. In Second John one and verse nine, lest we no longer have God. So let us affirm that Jesus is the Christ, the fully human, fully God of distinct but inseparable human and divine natures. That He is our risen Lord. We're again thankful that you've. Spent this time with us. We hope that uh, this has been educational, perhaps uh, useful. If uh, you're completely confused, that uh, may not be terribly surprising. It's a very confusing issue. If you'd like to talk about it further, uh, if you'd like to talk about some other issues about Christianity or coming to a knowledge of uh, what the Scriptures teach, or maybe you just need a talk or you have prayer requests, or if we can be of some service in some way, please let us know. Please just contact. You can see my website, DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.DeVerboVitae.com. And if you live in Los Angeles, travel in Los Angeles area, you'd like to check out Adventure Church Christ, learn more about us, please find us online at AdventistChurchofChrist.org, or you can also find us on social media. We well, again thank you. Have a great day.